This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 21st, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Meager spending cuts for the military under so-called sequestration seem less likely now, but that hasn't stopped the hyperbole of those who believe only the U.S. can maintain global order. Justin Logan, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. How are cuts that would be occurring under sequestration to the Pentagon, how are those being uh, couched? How are people who are defending the Pentagon, how how do they think about these cuts? Well, any uh, range of hyperbolic terms would work, catastrophic. Uh, They will leave us vulnerable to attack, uh, said Defense Secretary Leon Panetta. Um, a range of neoconservatives, uh, defense Keynesians, and others have described them as catastrophic, uh, have also used, as I mentioned, the, the sort of economic uh, argument because uh, Americans are sort of down on big uh, foreign military interventions. So the, the big threat has been that they'll uh, destroy a million jobs, plunge us back into recession. So pretty much any uh, uh, extreme catastrophic metaphor that you can think of has been uh, has been used. And especially if you live in the Washington, D.C. area, you've paid attention to any television that's occurred in this media market. That is a particularly uh, effective threat given the jobs that exist in Maryland, Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. Uh, within uh, the defense industry. But uh, how real how real are those those kinds of cuts? Well, there are so it's a little bit wonky and it takes a little bit to unpack, right? So so when – if and when the sequester happens, which it looks increasingly unlikely that it will uh, come to happen, um, there would be an initial cut of about uh, $55 billion, um, off the top. And there's some dispute still, interestingly, about the extent to which those could be done strategically – Uh, Or there's sort of a Damoclean sword argument that says, look, we couldn't even do this strategically. It just takes a chunk off the top of everything within the defense budget that's subject to sequestration. Um, So we can't even figure out what the $55 that's least important to our national defense is. It would just take equally from everything. I think in recent days that's become uh, uh, more transparently false. but on the, the, the defense aspect of it, there's this sort of broader strategic context that people like Bob Kagan and others uh, have argued. And that's that, you know, again, they would sort of uh, denude the nation's defenses, um, that the sort of Pax Americana has produced uh, economic growth, globalization, trade, and, and without uh, a sort of globe-straddling American empire – the idea is that Earth would sort of be plunged into Hobbesian chaos. States would be back at war with one another like they were in the early 20th century. And indeed, if those were the stakes, I, I, it would be very difficult to make the case that we at Cato have been making that the cuts are nothing to be worried about, right? The early 20th century was really bad <laughs> for the world. Uh, it was a very violent time. But I think when you subject these claims to scrutiny – uh, they really don't hold up. Now, the term you refer to is world order. He says that the world order would be disrupted and essentially he seems to be literally arguing for the United States to continue to be the world's policeman. The argument that, the, again, Bob, Robert Kagan and others make is essentially that 
the sort of the and these are abstractions, right? But the world order that America has sort of worked to assemble, uh, starting after World War II and running through the present day, is really unsustainable without American military power almost everywhere and almost always. Uh, to, if you will, sort of ram it down the throats of other countries around the world, right? The idea is that absent an American, uh, again, a global American military, and you get this couched again in a sort of abstraction. Our, our job is to secure the commons. And what people mean by that is the open seas, the skies, and increasingly space and cyberspace to keep them free of this sort of zero-sum military competition that the world saw in the early 20th century. So my response to that is that the, the world order, if we want to talk about it in that way, is hardly as brittle uh, as, as, as these uh, folks have made it out to be. One particularly strange aspect of this form of argument is that people who say that the world order uh, is vulnerable absent the American military dominating it also claim that all states uh, have benefited from this order, right? Even small, poor countries have been involved in globalization and have been able to improve their lot uh, as a result of an open trading system. But if that's true, right, if other countries are all benefiting from this order, then who would try to blow it up? Why is it that, that we're to assume that the order would you know, implode immediately after America uh, trimmed its sails a bit militarily if everyone's benefiting from the order? It would be terribly self-destructive and, and, and these sorts of folks tend not to show their work on that aspect of the argument, I think, because it's a, a weak argument. Now, uh, what we've ended up with is sort of an across-the-board trim. As you say, it's it's becoming increasingly unlikely. But that across-the-board trim has occurred because the United States is uh, apparently unwilling to rethink the purpose of the U.S. military. Yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, look, the, in defense of people who I disagree with about defense spending uh, and American military policy, they make an argument that you know, the American military posture is affordable, right? That if you, you know, really, really went after DOD in a way uh, that I would like to see it gone after, you still would have an enormous fiscal problem. And that's absolutely correct. Uh, it's true that, um, you know, the, the defense spending, which is extraordinarily high and much greater than what we need to produce national security, is not the fount of our current fiscal straits. So it, that affordability argument, as far as it goes, I think is persuasive. But particularly for many of the people making this argument who describe themselves as conservatives, it's a peculiar sort of argument. The, just because the American government can afford to do something doesn't, to my view, justify the argument that it should do something. So that's sort of uh, where we are. So in the, in the piece that I wrote in U.S. News, one of the things that I sort of asked was getting beyond the arguments about how the sky will fall if the American defense budget falls is the question what is likely to cause America to substantially tr change its grand strategy and military posture. 
And there's a funny quote in there from, maybe not funny, but funny to a cynic like me, a quote from John Randolph, one of the founding fathers who, who wrote that, you can cover whole skins of parchment with limitations, but power alone can limit power. And that's a sort of uh, uh, grim assessment. But I think the question is what will cause, what will force the American foreign policy elite to rethink the bipartisan strategy that we have today. And this draws on a paper that I wrote with Ben Friedman in Orbis earlier this year. There are two possible sources of material constraint. First is a sort of international competitor uh, or an international crisis that would really constrain uh, America's willingness to intervene broad militarily. And the second are an array of domestic constraints. So one of the things that has been, you know, uh, to make a, a, a slight positive out of a large negative, if you look at some of the consequences of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, there's a significant public reticence uh, to get into anything that resembles those conflicts um, in, in the present. So there is a little bit of an Iraq syndrome, uh, but I don't think that it has caused a you know, wholesale uh, rethinking of American military strategy. The other thing that could cause, uh, you know, a, again, a material constraint uh, on America's ability to pursue a wild and crazy grand strategy uh, would be if the fiscal constraints that we see now were much worse. So that puts us in the perverse uh, situation, as we put it in the piece that we wrote in Orbis. Uh, of rooting against some of the conditions that are most likely to force the American foreign policy elite to rethink its grand strategy, right? So if we had a huge economic collapse, uh, that might cause the United States foreign policy establishment to, to undergo a fundamental rethinking. But boy, that would be really terrible. So we, we don't want that to happen, although we think it will take large cataclysmic events such as that to force an overhaul uh, of the strategy that has really squandered American blood and treasure uh, pointlessly for decades. So make the hard choice while it's easy. Right. So the better way to do this, of course, whether you're talking about defense cuts in the context of the sequester or uh, a strategic – Or entitlements or any, or any ent number sure, of Sure, sure. I don't want to get too far out of my lane here. But that's right. All of these sorts of choices. Or having a sort of soft foreign policy landing rather than a hard foreign policy landing is to think critically about the world as we're likely to see it uh, in the years and decades to come and to adjust more smoothly – uh, and gradually. But the American state does not have a very good history uh, of doing that, at least speaking in my own area in terms of foreign policy and, and military strategy. So the concern that I have is that it will require, again, some big systemic shock uh, to the American government, to potentially the American economy, uh, to cause an overall rethinking. So we continue to, 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 to push uh, in Washington and in the country for a more restrained military strategy that will make the United States secure while keeping it out of unnecessary foreign wars. But when you look at what's likely to produce that, uh, it looks like a very grim scenario indeed. So I think that points out uh, you know, the work that we do here is vital uh, to avoid, ideally, uh, that sort of hard landing. Justin Logan is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.